0: Amen. He is not here. He is risen. Amen. Amen. We worship him in that way because he is truly the risen Savior. Uh, This morning, uh, we are so excited again to get into God's word in just a moment. And uh, we're actually going to be finishing up a series that we've been doing for many weeks now. Uh, But I have to note that today marks the clearest, most evident difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Every other world religion on this day is noted as less than when it comes to Christianity. You see, the difference that is marked between the message of God's one true gospel is clearly marked and defined by today. Every other religion in the world, no matter which one you want to speak of or the offshoots of those world religions, it's always a message of do better, do more. Do better and do more. If you don't think you're really good for heaven, then just do more. Just do better. Just do more. Just pray more. Just go to church more. Just give more. Just do more. And maybe, just maybe, after you die, you might make it into heaven. And if not, then you'll be reincarnated as something else, and you'll have another shot to do more and do better. That's really the basic boiled down message of every other world religion from Hinduism to Judaism, Islam to Buddhism. It's basically a message of works. Do more. Follow this law. Pray this many times. Pray this direction this many times. But only in Christianity, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do we understand the clear teaching of God's one true gospel. That it is not us doing more. It is what Jesus has already done for us. I am not going to heaven when I step from this world because I did enough. Because I can't do enough. I will see him and be before him in his glory because he did all that was needed. So that I might receive his free gift of salvation. And so today is an amazing day. Today is the day we recognize and celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the grave. No other religious founder, teacher, guru... Or leader rose from the dead, affirming every word they spoke and every work they displayed. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And they looked at him confused and they said, it took decades to build this temple. What are you talking about? And he was speaking of himself. He often spoke of his own death and resurrection. You see, Jesus rose from the dead, and then about 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And you know what he's doing right now? He's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. You might say, well, I don't know him. I don't want to know him. He's praying for you. He's praying that if you don't know him, that you will allow the Spirit of God to prick your heart. That you will realize your sin, realize his grace, and the free gift of salvation that he's offering to you. You may be sitting there thinking, like, well, I don't even know if I need him. I'm pretty well set. Isn't Jesus just for those who are in need, who are going through something, who've got health concerns, you know, those poor and kind of downtrodden people? That's who Jesus really needs. I need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I'm pretty good. Listen, you need him more than you'll ever know. Because all the wealth that you have, all the success in this world, all the money, all the fame, all the relationships, all the achievements cannot gain you heaven. Only Jesus, death on the cross, burial, and resurrection is sufficient sacrifice for sin. The truth is, if Christ had not risen, we would still be in our sins, the Bible says. Paul writes this in Corinthians. He says, man, if, if Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, and it's really true that the disciples just snuck in and stole the body from Roman guards... So some fishermen snuck in and overthrew some Roman guards who are trained military men and stole the body of Jesus. And then those very same men who knew it was a lie all died a martyr's death. All chose to die for a lie. But if it was true that Jesus had not risen from the dead, Paul says, we are of all men most miserable. We should be pitied by the world because we think our sins are forgiven and they're not. If Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, but he did rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we are of all men most envied, not because of our good works, but because we have a relationship with God, our creator through Christ. And so this morning, I really do want to mark today's uniqueness it is not just the time to get some Easter eggs, which I, I love the kids in junior church. They're doing a little Easter egg hunt and having fun with that. And if you hear any crying or screaming or fighting, I just ignore that. You know, it's your child. Okay, just let it go. We'll pretend it's my kid. That's fine. Pastors, kids get blamed for everything. It's cool. Just let it go. But it's it's great to have fun and do the Easter baskets. But listen, Easter's not about a bunny. It's not about Cadbury eggs. I know some of you are like, "Mm, yes, it is actually. No, it's not. (laughs) It's about the risen Savior. And that day, today, this day, marks the difference between every other system of religion and what James calls true religion which is a relationship with Christ. As we celebrate this beautiful morning, again, we are actually finishing up a series through the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And so we are in the last chapter of Galatians. And as I shared last week, I prayed about whether we should kind of step away from it for a week, but I I believe we're just going to continue through this chapter. And I pray it's an encouragement and a blessing to you. Galatians chapter 6. If you have a copy of God's word, and I pray that you do, turn to Galatians 6. If you do not have a copy of God's word in the seats in front of you or in the aisles there, there should be some Bibles. If you would like to use one of the Bibles provided, you can just actually turn to page 822. So if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats there, page 822, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to read just the first and last verse of Galatians 6. And again, if you've not been with us for the length of this series, again, we are in the last chapter. This is chapter six, but our seventh week, as Pastor Greg pointed out a couple weeks ago when I was not here, that's just suiting. That's just how I do things. Uh, Other preachers would do six chapters in six weeks. I have to do six chapters in seven weeks because it's just how I do things. I also have to say I don't like drinking water from the pulpit. But yesterday I started getting this weird cough thing going on and this weird thing in my throat. So if I start hacking up, just pray, turn the lights off when you go, just leave me up here, I'll be fine. But so forgive me for drinking some water this morning. But Galatians 6 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one to the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also. Be tempted. Verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm sorry, with your spirit. Amen. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, a hungry people. Hungry for your righteousness and for your wisdom. We have no righteousness of our own to speak of. We desperately long for you to fill us with your presence this morning. And Father, I thank you for those in this room that know you as their Savior, that today is a day of great celebration. Today is a day that they recognize as the day that you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell, and guaranteeing that the sacrifice of the cross was approved by the Father that those who place their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, that they will be saved, not just in this life, but in the life to come. For some in this room, Lord, that know you as Savior, this is an amazing day because it reminds them that they were dead and they've been resurrected, they've been brought to life. Some in this room, Lord, made some very sinful and, and, and just hurtful decisions in their life. And today is a day that they mark the as a day of great celebration because even in the midst of their great sin, you saved them. You redeemed them. Again, not because we cleaned ourselves up, as we talked about Friday night, but because you loved us so much. And so, Father, we pray that you would affirm the words of Galatians 6 into our hearts and minds, that we'd go from this place different, desiring to see you move in new ways. And, Lord, affirm the things we've been taught to remind us of how we can be used of you to make an impact and a difference in this world. Father, ultimately, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, maybe they've been trusting in religion, thinking they can just do enough. I pray, Father, that this morning the Spirit of God would convict them of their sin, convict them of the truth of the grace that is offered to them, and that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, uh, I remember many years ago when I was 16 years old just coming to a point of realizing it's not me. I can't do it. I needed you. We all need you. There is none righteous. No, not one. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So thank you for your love for us. Thank you for today. And I pray again that you would be glorified in all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 18. We see here an interesting dynamic of what Paul does. He begins and ends this chapter, this section of this letter. Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And he's writing to these churches and he's trying to encourage them. And we've covered this a lot. But basically there was these false teachers that had come in. And they were trying to convince these new Christians that they needed to mix law and grace. They needed to fall under the law and have grace, that they needed to mix these things together. And we've spent a lot of time unpacking what that looks like. But we've also realized that when we understand the one true gospel, we have freedom from those things. That I am not bound to my performance to be kept in the salvation that I have in Christ. He keeps me by the indwelling and sealing of his spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. And so here we've been talking about this idea. And so Paul gets to chapter 6, and he's going to get kind of practical. He's going to get real this morning. He's going to kind of tell us some ways that our freedom in Christ should be used to honor and glorify God. One of the biggest knocks against this idea that you are free in Christ, that means you are free from the bondage of trying to be perfect. Amen. I'm thankful I don't have to be perfect. I know it's hard to look at me, but I'm not perfect. I mean, I know you might think, man, that guy's pretty perfect. I know it's confusing, but I'm really not, okay? And if you have any doubts on that, my wife's teaching junior church. She spent all the time with you this afternoon. You want to remind you how imperfect I really am, okay? But as you think about this, man, he came for us. He died for us, and he gave us this gospel to set us free. So how do we use that freedom in a way that would glorify God and honor him? Some say, well, if you tell people they're free in Christ, that they'll just continue in sin. They'll just live in sin and just say, well, I'm covered by grace. It's fine. Paul says, if you really know the Savior and you really know Christ, you're going to refuse that type of living. Romans chapter 6 says that do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid A follower of Christ does not continue in sin willfully without conviction. A follower of Christ can and does sin, but there's conviction. There's a desire for repentance. It may take time of God working on you to draw you to that point, but no Christian can sin without conviction. And so some would say, well, if you tell people they're free in Christ and don't give them a bunch of rules and boundaries and conditions to keep them in check, they're going to live crazy. As we said last week, I don't need a list of rules outside to govern me. God has given me his spirit to lead me. And he leads me into his word where I find the parameters of life, the parameters of living. What does it mean to live holy and separate lives? It's revealed in his word. And the spirit of God works in and through me to draw me to understand that. But so many Christians are living by a list of do's and don'ts. And they feel defeated. Some of you grew up in churches or visited churches where they cared more about what you wore than the soul and where you would spend eternity. So Paul here is getting practical. He's saying, listen, we're free. We're free in Christ. But what do we do with that freedom? How do we live in a way that honors God in that freedom? And so he's going to give us some examples here of what we can do. He opens up chapter 6 with a key word, brethren. Brethren. At the end of the chapter in verse 18, he says, brethren. This is, again, a term of endearment. It's a, it's a loving term to the church. And he's saying this because he's saying, listen, I love you as brothers and sisters in Christ. I care for you. This is, again, that pastoral heart that Paul had for the church. He desires God's best for them. As we said last week, Paul has been building to this point, And now he wants to get practical with some application. So let's dive in and see how the one true gospel not only blesses us, but blesses those around us. If we if want to be honest this morning, God has called you to not just be blessed, but to bless others. And that's a weird thing to say in our world today. <clears throat> in our world today, it's more about what do I get out of this? Isn't this true? This is how we drive, isn't it? When we drive like I matter more than you matter. Obviously I'm in a hurry. You just need to get out the way or I'll move you out of the way. You know, it's funny. I, I, I realize now, as I was saying this, that this morning I was coming into church, and I was behind one of those people that was driving just just at or under the speed limit. And they don't go to church here, I don't think. I didn't see him turn in here, so it's fine. (laughs) If it is you, I apologize. Please forgive me. Okay, but they were hovering between fifty three and fifty five miles an hour on fifty three right here, just just hovering, you know. And you're just like, can you pick one? Just just pick one. I don't care. If it's 53, if it's five, just pick one. And I almost passed them a couple times, but it was like not too far before the church. I thought if I fly by them at like 60 miles an hour and they do pull into the church (laughs) and then I'm preaching this this morning, it's just not going to look good. So, so I was like, I'll just hang back. And then someone passed both of us because they were in a hurry and it was more about them. But we live this way in our world today. I don't really care about what you need or what you think. Just it's me. What's convenient for me? And Paul's going to show us here that we are blessed in Christ with freedom and confidence and security, but we're not blessed to keep it to ourselves. We're blessed to bless others, to be a blessing to others. You see, when we realize that we have been blessed to be a blessing, we glory only in the gospel. So Galatians chapter 6, look again at verse 1. We are blessed to share. I'm going to give you some things that Paul says that we're blessed to share this morning. The first of which is our faults. We are actually blessed to share our faults. Look at verse 1 again. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here we see this word, faults. And I know, again, we think of ourselves and we can think of all the things that we've done wrong, that we've thought that were wrong, the ways that we've failed other people in our lives. But one of the most unique aspects of the church is that we can actually share our faults with one another. It's one of the most unique aspects of the church, of the body of Christ. And the reason we can share our faults so freely with one another is because we all have them. Everyone in this room has a fault, a weakness, Something that pulls at you. Some of us, we get victory over one fault and some years go by and then another one creeps up. And you think you had success or victory over that one and then another one creeps in. Because we have these two enemies that are battling against us. We have the flesh inside of us and we have Satan outside of us. And the flesh inside of us wants to long and linger for sin. And for whatever satisfies the flesh. And the enemy outside of us is like a fisherman dangling some bait in front of us. And they put bait on the hook and they're trying to lure our flesh into biting the hook. And like any fisherman knows, the better the bait looks, the better or the more likely the fish is going to bite the hook. And so Satan will bait you and try you and and put some things in front of you. and, And then that doesn't work. So he rebates and he tries again. And if you don't believe me on this, spend 10 minutes just walking around in our world. It is, there is bait Everywhere. You can't flip on a TV, drive down the road with billboards. It's everywhere. Calls for greed and lust and pride just all around us. You see, we can share our faults because we all have them. The word fault here means in this context of falling back into legal bondage, which again was the desire of the false teachers, or it could mean simply a transgression or a sin. Any transgression, any sin, any wrongdoing, or in this specific context, it could be speaking to those that were falling back into this legal bondage, this this kind of control that these false teachers were putting over the church. Paul says it earlier in Galatians, and Pastor Greg addressed this a couple weeks ago, that it's this idea of we were here, we were mature, and then we went back to being kids. We went back, we lived like children again. He says this idea of fault is this idea of coming into this bondage, Or any sin. But there's another phrase here I want to look at. It's this phrase overtaken. Overtaken. Anyone who's overtaken in a fault. So somebody who's overtaken. This implies it was by surprise. Not an act of deliberate disobedience. This is not someone who's just living and going, you know what? I know this is sin. I just don't care. This is somebody who's living in their Christian life. And something caught them by surprise. And it drew them into this momentary weakness of just falling into that sin. Or, as we see here, from false teachers luring you into sin. This idea here of being overtaken in a fault is something that everyone in this room can agree with and understand because we've all been there. We've all had to deal with this. There is a balance to this, though. While we have all fallen in some way and therefore can share our faults, We share them so that we may be restored to the right relationship with God. We do not share and stay the same. We don't share our faults and go, it's fine though, no big deal. We share our faults so that we can grow and be restored back into right relationship with God. When we stay trapped in those faults, we will not experience the joy of the Lord. We will not experience the fullness of the joy of what God has for us when we choose to stay trapped in these faults because you know what? It's just not that big a deal. There's so many believers that are living this way. And when somebody in Christ comes to them lovingly and says, Listen, can I can I help you with this? I've been seeing this in your life. I've been praying for you. I, I just want to see if I can help you. And they look at them all angry and say, Who are you to judge me? Who are you? You have issues? See, sometimes in church we have to be so careful that when we're sharing our faults, we're not sharing our faults so that they would go, yeah, I struggle with that too. Neither one of us change and we'll both feel fine. This is kind of like when you go to Bible study and you're sitting in a Bible study and talking about prayer and you're talking about how the Bible says we should pray without ceasing, how the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint, how God rewards and blesses those who come before him in prayer that we can lay all our burdens at his feet, and we hear this, and you sit in the Bible, and so you go, man, I know I'm not praying like I should. And someone across the table goes, well, I'm not praying like I should. And you go, oh, okay, so I'm not alone in this. The next statement, the next encouraging word should be, let's grow in this. But sometimes there's this this habit we fall into. go, well, if they're they're doing okay in their Christian life, and I'm doing okay in my Christian life, and they don't pray like they should, and I don't pray like I should, then we'll just stay the same and be fine. But then we'll come back next week and we'll talk about how we should be doing it, but we really don't do it, but we feel better about ourselves because we still have said it out loud. Instead of realizing, no, let's challenge each other. Let's encourage each other, not in arrogance or pride, but what does the Bible say? In meekness. For men here today that know Christ, Paul talks about this, or not Paul, but the Bible talks about this idea of iron sharpening iron. That we come together as men and we encourage each other. It's not arrogance. It's not I'm better than you. Because again, we're all equally At fault, It's saying, no, this is how God has strengthened me. How can I bear your burden with you, as we'll talk about in a minute, and help you with that fault? Paul points to the goal in this sharing of our faults, and it is the goal of restoring such a one. This literally is the idea of setting a broken limb. That's what Paul's saying here. This one who is sharing a fault, who is out of socket, out of joint, when you go and restore such a one you're setting that limb. Now, have you ever had that? Has anyone ever had a limb that had to be set before? A broken limb that to be set? Okay. A couple hands go up. Okay. If it was your arm, you're down here raising your hand because you're like, they did it wrong. I can't get my arm up there. Okay. <laughs> they messed up. Okay. Was that a pleasant experience to those that experienced that? Was that joyful? Were you looking forward to that? Like, oh, I just, I, let's do it again. Here, just let let, let me knock knock my leg out of socket and you just fix my leg. Let's go for that one because that was so much fun. It wasn't comfortable in the moment. But guess what? If they didn't set the limb, it would have never healed. No healing can take place without restoration. And while it seems uncomfortable and it's not pleasant, the fruit of that decision to have that limb set made all the difference. It brought healing It brought restoration and comfort. And Paul says, in the body of Christ, this is what we need. When someone's sharing a fault, we work to restore such a one so that they might experience healing. If they're sharing their fault is a certain sin, then we come alongside as individuals. And we try to help. We pray for them. We encourage them. Another phrase here that we want to understand that I think has been taken out of context is the word spiritual. It says, you, which are spiritual. And people go, well, that's not me, because I'm not perfect. I, I don't have it all figured out. I've only been saved for six months or a year or five years. I'm not, you know, I'm not a deacon. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not. No, that's not what that word spiritual means. That word spiritual implies, first of all, that they know Christ. That they have a relationship with Christ. And secondly, it implies that those people are not currently falling into that fault. If somebody comes and says, hey, listen, I'm struggling in lust then the spiritual one, if it's a man, another man that comes alongside in Christ and tries to help that person is one who is not falling into the fault of lust. That's what the Bible's talking about here. It's just saying we're all equally f- at fault for different things, but right now in this season, this Christian man has overcome that by God's grace, so he comes alongside and helps this other man to overcome that. It's just an, an example, whether it be for a man helping a man or a woman helping a woman. The spiritual definition here is not somebody who's perfect because, again, we're all at fault. Last note on this. If a person refuses the steps to be restored, and we see this kind of explained in Matthew 18, you cannot merely overlook the faults, but graciously pray and encourage them to repentance. We don't control anyone. Maybe somebody here, And let's take it even out of the realm of just even church. But maybe somebody here has somebody battling with addiction that they love. Maybe you have a son or a daughter or a parent or a spouse that's battling addiction in some way. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to control them and make them quit. You can't do it. And Paul's saying here, when somebody shares, have you ever had this loved one share with you their addiction? They know it's an addiction. They know it's a problem. And then you start trying to help them to take steps to get free of that. And they go, no, I don't want to do that. You can't make them. You just have to step back and say, Lord, you have to do a work here. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. We share our faults one with another. And this is the unique thing to the church because we don't share and then judge. We share and then we're meek and we're compassionate and we're tender. Not only do we share our faults, but quickly we are blessed to share our burdens. Look at verses 2 through 5. Verses 2 through 5. He goes on to say this. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden." So here we see that not only can we share our faults with one another for the purpose of restoration, we are also called to walk with each other, with one another, and bear the burdens that we are carrying. Burden here just simply means something that we're carrying that is beyond our strength. Something that we're carrying that is beyond our strength. So for some of you, think of it in the physical sense. Even as big as you are, as strong as you are, there's some things you just can't pick up. There's also some things that the longer you hold on to them, you notice they get heavier. You ever notice this? You can do this on your own. If you go to the store after church today and buy like a 20 ounce soda and just hold that 20 ounce soda out in your hand and just hold it there. At first, this is pretty light. I can do this. But after an hour or so, don't do this in the store. They'll think you're weird, but go home and do this. Hold that bottle for an hour. Is the bottle actually getting heavier? Well, what's happening? The perception of the weight, it's just, it's weighing you down. See, some of you are carrying burdens that you thought you could carry. It, in the beginning, it was fine. But now you've been carrying them so long, they're just wearing you out. The Bible says that we can actually share the weight. It's a lot easier for two of us to bear the weight than one. And then imagine five, now 10, now 50, now 100. Man, we could bear so much by the grace of God under that weight because we are bearing it together. Good Friday service, this last Friday night, Uh, it was such an amazing time of just worship. But one of the things we did was we invited people to lay their burdens down at the foot of the cross. And it was so amazing to see people just come forward. We had these three by five cards, you could write whatever your burden was. It was anonymous, we don't know who wrote what, but people were throwing their cards down at the foot of the cross and walking away. And I love that moment because it reminds me that we're calling each other. Listen, you don't have to bear that alone. Not only can we bear each other's burdens, Christ desires to bear your burden with you. It is a great blessing to carry the burden of someone else and matches the command Christ gave to his disciples. This is why Paul says it fulfills the law of Christ. In fact, the clearest evidence that God loves the world and we have received that love, is to love one another. We see this in John. If you're taking notes, John 15, John 17. See, we are called to love one another. What's one of the ways that we can love one another? By carrying the burden of one another. And I've heard story after story in the last so many months about individuals in our church finding about somebody going through something and just going to help, taking them to doctor's appointments, just being there, helping with whatever they can. Just trying to be a blessing to help bear that burden. See, that's the beauty of the church. That's what the church is all about. Where else are you going to get that type of a relationship where other people that are of different background, different age, that they're going to come alongside and say, I just want to bear this burden with you because it fulfills the law of Christ. It helps me to live in what God has called me to, to show love to you. The false teachers in Paul's day and the Pharisees in Jesus's day are not interested in bearing burdens. They're only interested in adding to your burdens. You see the difference that Paul's suggesting here? These false teachers, they're saying, hey, do this and do this and do this. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's all done in Christ. And in fact, those burdens you're carrying, share that with one another. Choose to bear under with one another. So how do we bear each other's burdens? I'm a pretty practical person. I don't like preaching on things and then people leaving and going, I have no idea to do what he said. I know I'm supposed to do this, I don't know how. So I want to give you some examples of how we can bear one another's burdens. One author said it so well. The phrase one another is one of the key phrases in the Christian's vocabulary. The phrase one another, which we see throughout Scripture, is a key phrase in the christian's vocabulary. Love one another is found at least a dozen times in the new testament. Along with pray one for another. James chapter 5 verse 16. Edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Prefer one another. Romans 12:10. What does it mean to prefer one another? It means I'm going to put your wants and your your needs above mine even if it means I might have to go without. Is there any other display of Christ's likeness than when we humble ourselves and we say, yeah, I deserve this. This is, again, our culture loves this idea. Oh, no, you do that because you deserve that. You've worked really hard. You deserve that. But, man, when you learn to serve one another, if you're married here this morning... I promise you, if you commit to serve your spouse instead of look to be served from your spouse, your marriage will radically change in a very short amount of time. Just wake up in the morning and pray something simple like this. Lord, help me to see what her or his needs are today. And help me to be ready and willing to do those things, expecting nothing in return. And so many marriages nowadays are just contractual agreements. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I got my wife something nice because I wanted her to let me go golf on the weekend. Yeah, that's, that's love. Put that in the K commercial, right? I mean, come on. Man, when you choose to say, you know what? I'm in this marriage to bless my spouse, not take from my spouse. And you might say, well, wait a minute, but, then, but my needs aren't getting met. My needs aren't going to be met. I promise you, when you start focusing on meeting the needs of your spouse, your needs will be met. And, and by the way, all your needs are already satisfied and fulfilled in Christ. Your spouse is just, is just bonus. <laughs> just Christ has fulfilled all we need. And some of you today are like, but my spouse doesn't even know Christ. They don't even pray. They don't, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Then I would encourage you serve your spouse, pray for your spouse, love your spouse, Paul says, you may be the very light of the gospel that leads them to know Christ. See, we are blessed to pray for one another, to edify one another, to prefer one another. He goes on to say this, use hospitality one to another, 1 Peter 4, 9. And many other like admonitions. You know what the Bible is saying? It's about one another. It's not about me. It's about bearing the burdens of each other. Now I have to point out here in verse four and five, that Paul does not contradict himself here. In verse five, he says, for every man shall bear his own burden. And you're like, wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa, time out. You just got done saying we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. The word here for burden is a different word. It's not this idea of a weight that we cannot bear. It's the idea of a load that we're called to carry. See, we're supposed to share our burdens with one another, but there's some things that we have to carry. There's some things that we're just called to carry. And so what do we do with those burdens? Well, we bear them. And how do we bear them? By the grace and strength of our Savior. The idea here also is that we should not compare the load we carry to others. Well, you know what? It's not fair. They're carrying less than I'm carrying, Lord. We're not called to compare. We're merely called to trust in the grace and the strength of Christ to bear the burden we have. And God will strengthen us to do so and then have sympathy and compassion for others as they carry their loads. See, we are blessed to share our faults, our burdens, and quickly. And those of you that attend here regularly, you know what that means. Nothing. We really are running out of time so quickly. We are blessed to share our faults, our burdens, as well as our blessings. Look at verses 6 through 10. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, not just those you like, not just those in the same political party. All men, goes on to say this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. See, we are blessed to share our blessings. These blessings that we share come in various forms, from financially to serving one another. We can share financially with one another. We can support the work that God is doing in a ministry. We can support missionaries. But also, we can support one another by serving one another, honoring one another, ministering to one another. Maybe you've been blessed with time. And you have time to serve your neighbors. You can make meals. You can do different things because God has given you that opportunity. Some of you work crazy hours. And for you, it's like, I just don't have time. Well, then maybe God has placed you in your workplace that many hours so that you might be a missionary in that field. Maybe God has put you exactly where you're supposed to be, planted with a purpose that you might make a difference for Christ by sharing what God has blessed you with. Paul basically, and we could spend so much time on one of these verses that unfortunately we just don't have time to spend on right now. But verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Paul's encouragement here is to sow and reap with wisdom. To think about the decisions you're making and the seeds you're planting. One author said it this way, Once we sow, we cannot change the harvest. Once you sow, you cannot change the harvest. Now, this is a farming community. If I plant corn, what's going to come up at the end of the season? Corn, okay, pretty simple. I'm, I'm not a farmer. I'm barely even a gardener, okay? Like, I start it all, I get it all put together, and I go, here, Sandra, have as much fun as you want. I'll see you at the end of the year when it's time to yank it all out of the ground again, okay? I just, I don't have any hand in it. But I can understand if I plant a tomato plant, I don't want corn from the tomato plant. But man, we don't live that way, do we? We sow decision after decision in our lust, in our flesh. And then we're so surprised when the fruit of our decision starts to come up. And there's bitterness in our thoughts, defeat in our lives, apathy in our Christian walk, because we've sowed decisions that have led us to that harvest. Now, I'm so thankful that even when the bad harvest comes up, God's grace is there to meet us and work in and through that moment. But we need to think about what we're planting. Many times we sow a sinful decision and pray for a harvest of blessing. And God says it's not how it works. There's grace for forgiveness. Yes, don't feel as though, oh, well, then I'm just stuck. No, God can still rescue you and save you and redeem you. But I promise you, if you plant this kind of seed, it's going to come out later in your life in some way, shape, or form. So maybe we begin praying now, God, give me wisdom before I even plant. This is true, not only of our decisions, but what we do with our blessings, how we use our money, how we use our possessions. Question I have to ask this morning is how can you sow a deed of kindness in someone else's life this week? How can you right where you are, wherever God has planted you this week, how can you sow a deed of kindness and love in someone's life this week? But yeah, but they don't agree with me on this, that other thing. I don't care. (laughs) That's not what I asked you. Yeah, but they don't see that doesn't matter. Find the most annoying person at work and go bless them. And if people start blessing you, I'm just saying. Just realize God has planted you for a purpose. Lastly, we are blessed to share our story. Look at verses 11 through 17. 11 through 17. We see, or I'm sorry, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Side note here, there's a couple different ideas on what Paul means here. Paul usually, in some of his letters, would not actually write the words. Paul prayed for a thorn in the flesh to be removed. Some think that had something to do with his eyesight, that he had some kind of a a disease or something with his eyes that he could not see very well. And so often in his letters, he would kind of dictate something, whatever God was moving to a scribe, and the scribe would write down what the words actually were. Paul writes here, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. It's showing him, this is how much I care about this. I wrote this. Some have said it could mean large letter as far as the amount of content in the book of Galatians, or it could literally mean I wrote with big letters, because it's obvious when you see the larger letters, it was me that wrote it. So either way you look at it, there's still an intent here of love and a desire from the know how much he loves them. It goes on to say in verse 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the, cause of, for the cross of Christ. Again, this is those false teachers. They chose circumcision as a Jewish law and a tradition that was going to be enforced. And he's saying they did this just to make a show in the flesh, just to kind of show off, just to be boastful. But they don't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Verse 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. They don't even keep all the law. They can't keep all the law. None of us could. Even the Ten Commandments on the back wall, before you leave today, if you think you can keep them, start reading down them, and you'll realize you won't get very far into the list before you failed. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, I don't have any little wooden idols in my house. No, your idol is your career. You you are the idol. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, I've never taken the Lord's name in vain, really. If you've ever said the name of Jesus Christ without giving it weight and glory, you took it in vain. That's just two. You should not commit adultery. Well, I know I've never done that. Jesus said, if you look after a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. That's three. I don't think we need to keep going. I think we get the point that none of us can keep the law. But that's a great blessing. Because that just means we need grace. And we're so thankful for the grace that he gave us to forgive us of our sins. It goes on to say this. uh, Verse... 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. That's the phrase Israel of God. It's not referring to literal descendants of Abraham. It's referring to those who are true followers of Christ. Those that are Jews that are followers of of Christ. So he's comparing this to the false teachers that we're teaching in this church. Verse 17 from henceforth, let no man trouble me for I bear in my body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. See, we are blessed to share our story. Paul gives a little testimony here. I'm not going to unpack all of it. Again, we made some highlights there, but for time's sake, we're just going to kind of give you the overview. Your story. If you know Christ as your Lord and personal savior is a story of grace and sacrifice it's grace and sacrifice your story isn't even really about you primarily it's about jesus it's about what jesus has done in you it's about who jesus saw in you before you ever knew who you were in christ jesus sacrificed himself on the cross that he might or that we might have eternal life he extends his grace to any that choose to believe Pastor, you don't know me. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. I've, I've never been to church before. That's okay. He loves you just where you are. He wants to save you right where you're at. In verse 14, we read kind of what I call Paul's purpose statement, life statement, mission statement. It says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament says, I have no glory in myself. I only glory in the cross of Christ. He says this by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This is the world and its desires, its pull, its lure. It's all meaningless because I'm dead to the world. I was crucified in Christ. This is kind of a restating of Galatians 2.20. The life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul understood that it wasn't about doing better. It wasn't about changing a behavior. It was about dying to self and receiving the free gift of salvation. Because of the cross of Christ, he has eternal life, which means he cannot glory in himself, but only in the cross. We cannot boast in ourselves because we are incapable of rescuing ourselves from our own sin. You and I are left wanting at the foot of the cross, and by his grace, we are extended mercy and forgiveness that we desperately need. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. As you bow your heads and begin to pray, I want to thank you for your attention and your time this morning, but let's begin to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts and minds. If you are here this morning with your head bowed and have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, That I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to the altar to praise him for his resurrection, to praise him for his conquering of sin and death and the grave, that he overcome all of it by his power. Maybe you'd come and bend a knee as an individual or as a family member with, with your family, a husband and wife, and say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for dying for me and for rising again to show that the sacrifice was received. And approved by the Father. Thank you for bringing me to life. That I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But you quickened me. You made me alive in you. That I might now live in the fullness of the joy of the Lord. and One day see you face to face in heaven. If you're here this morning and you have not received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you've gone to church before. Maybe you've been baptized as a child. An infant. Maybe you've read through the Bible. Maybe you've tithed a bunch of money to administer, or you've been generous. Maybe you've done lots of good moral things in your life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and the gift of, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've not received Christ, all those good works are as filthy rags before a holy God. But the invitation is for you this morning to just receive Christ, to confess your sin to Him, to believe that He died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, When you turn from those sins and trust in Christ, you will be saved, placing your faith and trust in him. Will you do that this morning? Father, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. We pray, Father, that you would do a great work as only you can do by the moving of your spirit as we respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you respond, whether here in the altar or there in your seats, whatever God is doing? As we sing the song of invitation this morning, would you respond to the call that he's placed on your life?